mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Oh yeah, 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 that's me. Okay, let's get into this show. I think it's an important show, and I want you to remain open-minded. And I'm going to be open-minded as well. We're going to take a look at Trump's comments and numerous press conferences surrounding the uh, Charlottesville incident from three years ago. Because it's been made to be so important. It leads so many attacks on Trump and Joe Biden actually lists it top on the list of why he's running for president was after he watched the president's remarks about the Charlottesville incident. Just uh, this week, the Portland mayor, Ted Wheeler, in an open letter to President Trump, listed his comments. Very fine people on both sides at the top of his list of why this president is terrible and must be resisted. Okay? Now, I also am going to keep an open mind. I'm not above uh, confirmation bias and looking at things from a certain angle. But what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to look at Trump's comments. There were three press conferences surrounding that weekend. One the day of, one, I think, two days later, and then one again the day after. Do you remember all three press conferences? Do you remember anything about that? Or is the only thing you know about Trump's comments, he said, very fine people on both sides? So often, right now, when things are so dangerous, we can't just jump with confirmation bias and run with sound bites. We have to look deeper. We have to look further into things to settle it for ourselves, use our own discernment to make decisions, to make judgments. So often right now, things are packaged on both sides, every side, every angle. They're packaged in these little short sound bites and memes that feed us and feed our confirmation bias. And they, they, it's, it's almost like ammunition that just ratchets up and builds brick by brick, builds this wall around us. So we become insular. We only see things from the, the perspective of our own narrative. And this is an important comment. It's still, to this day, being brought up. Uh, the other one that's very popular is... They're rapists. Just that, that, those two words, they're rapists. And we've talked about that previously on the podcast where it's the difference of possessive, there, T H E I R, and there they are. And in context, clearly, you can see that he's saying there, the state, the Mexican state is sending their rapists. 
But everybody that attacks Trump uses it as they are Mexicans. They are rapists. And this is a big one to me because Charlottesville in some ways is very similar. How much of it do you know? How much of the facts surrounding the press conferences? How much of the incident itself do you know? Or is everything that you've heard since then fine people on both sides? So that's important. If you think I'm crazy about the there versus they are, go back, watch it. Trump has a bit of a problem, and it's not the problem that a lot of people say. He's so sharp. Okay, we've never seen a politician like this that can go off of the teleprompter, off script, and just start riffing. You know, he's, he's almost like he's on ADD or, or he's, he's on Adderall, and he's, he starts riffing on this other thing. But he almost always goes back to immediately where he left off when he started riffing. He goes back to script very well. Well, in the they versus they are, he is talking about the state and who they're sending, right? And then he goes off script, he starts riffing, and then he comes back to say they're rapists. It's very clear in context, but so many people are just getting their packaged sound bites, and they're not going to look at what he says in context. Now, if you want to talk about he should never use those terms, and, and it was propaganda to begin with to say the Mexican state is sending people, you know, that's a great debate. That is a wonderful argument. And that goes, uh, that debate and that discussion goes beyond a packaged, uh, narrative driven, divisive two words, right? And we should all uh, be encouraged to uh, flush out. Uh, flush out facts and discuss narrative to try to seek truth, because we all we all should be able to argue, debate, discuss for the truth at the end of the rainbow, right? So we want we eventually we want to agree. Sometimes there's situations where we can't agree. All right, I respect your opinion, but we're going to agree to disagree. And you come back later, maybe on a different topic, in a different, in a different narrative, and you try to discuss it again. That's what we're supposed to do. But right now in society, that's not happening. So let's get to this. I've rambled enough. Let's get to this episode where we take a look from a 50,000-foot view on the Charlottesville incident and what exactly happened that weekend. The Charlottesville incident may have happened on August 12, 2017, but it really started earlier that year in February. It was in February that the Charlottesville City Council voted to remove a statue of Robert E. Lee. The vice mayor and a couple city council members were offended by the presence of the statue, and they made it their mission to remove it. This stance is not unique to the Charlottesville government. The debate on statues is going on all over the South, and our country in general. Robert E. Lee was a Confederate Army General. He commanded the Army of Northern Virginia, and he won many battles in the American Civil War, both offensively and defensively. 
Do you know where he was born? He was born in Virginia. He died in Virginia. And he led the Army of Northern Virginia in the Civil War. Charlottesville is located smack dab in the middle of territory Robert E. Lee called home. And there were tens of thousands like him in Virginia in his day. Now, I need you to explore the concept of perspective for a moment. I'm from Washington State, born and bred Washingtonian. I could give two shits about Civil War era heritage. How about you? Where are you from? Do you care much about individuals that lived through the Civil War? Probably not. Let's be honest. However, when you are from an area where slavery occurred and great legendary battles were waged, you are far more likely to care about these cultural flashpoints. You very much care about the individuals that shared your land, your history. Culture is born from history and tradition. My point is that myself in Washington State, or maybe you in your state, we do not have an understanding of the depth of connection to culture these local folks have. So let's try to keep this local to Charlottesville, because that is where the event occurred, and the local culture is the foundation for the incident. So over the next few months, uh, the statue became a political football to toss around both locally, statewide, and nationally. A lawsuit was filed against the Charlottesville City Council, and in May was the first confrontation between people who were for and against the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. This is where it becomes clear that locally in Charlottesville, this battle isn't just about the statue of Robert E. Lee. At its base, it is about a culture shift in Charlottesville. In a broader context, this battle over a statue was just another object in a shift in local power structure. For example, Charlottesville was designated a sanctuary city for undocumented migrants. And when I say designated, that's a self-designation. At this point, I feel I might get lost down a rabbit hole of local politics and investigation of individual characters. This snapshot should show that a broad number of diverse people in the Charlottesville local area have an interest in the statue to see it remain, and to see it taken down. The May incident was a primer for the August incident. In May, there was a small skirmish between protesters of the removal and the counter-protesters. It is significant to me because the May incident acted like a postcard to the entire region as what could be expected in August. August 12th, a group received a permit to protest the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. The event was named the Unite the Right Rally. It should have been named 
the extremist skirmish so normies would know not to come. Here is the timeline of the Unite the Right rally on August 12, 2017. 8.30 a.m. Demonstrators begin to arrive. 10.30 a.m. The battle begins between protesters and counter-protesters, or one extremist group against another extremist group. 11.35 a.m. Law enforcement declares unlawful assembly, a.k.a. pack up and get the hell out. 11.52 a.m. The governor of Virginia declares a state of emergency. 1.19 p.m. President Trump tweets, We all must be united and condemn all that hate stands for. There is no place for this kind of violence in America. Let's come together as one. 1.40 p.m. Heather Herr is killed and 19 others injured when a deranged protester rams their car into counter-protesters. 3.30 p.m. President makes his first tele televised address of the Charlottesville incident where he was celebrating the signage of a veteran's health care bill. 5 p.m. Two policemen are killed in a helicopter crash responding to the protest. 9.46 p.m. The deranged motorist James Fields Jr. is arrested for second-degree murder. Okay, we've set the scene. We've given some details on the event, a little bit of broader perspective. We've given the timeline. But dang it, this is all about Trump, right? I mean, that's what it's that's been what it's been made to be like for years now, because Trump says there were very fine people on both sides. When did he say that? Let's get to his first press conference, um, and I'm going to chop it up. Now, I'm not going to change uh, any of the order of the quotes, but we all know how Trump can all of a sudden start talking about uh, the economy or jobs and start going off on tangents. I'm going to edit it in a way that it's a linear timeline, but it's only the relevant um, words that he speaks. That's the only editing I'm going to do. And bef before I give you Trump's first press conference, remember, this is at... 3.30 p.m., so less than two hours from Heather Hare losing her life to that deranged lunatic, um, he is in front of a camera uh, giving his statement. Um, and I'd like to reread his tweet. His tweet actually came before the death, when all of this violence was going on in these, uh, these battles, the skirmish, as I like to call it. Um, President Trump tweeted, we all must be united and condemn all that hate stands for. There is no place for this kind of violence in America. Let's come together as one. All right, let's get to the first press conference. I was able to whittle it down to about three minutes. It's very important. This is the same day of the event. You just uh, heard his tweet this is his first uh, press conference where he was uh, uh, celebrating the signage of veterans' health care bill. 
um, and he took time to address the Charlottesville incident on the day of. Listen to every word. But we're closely following the terrible events unfolding in Charlottesville, Virginia. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides, on many sides. It's been going on for a long time in our country. Not Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. This has been going on for a long, long time. It is no place in America. What is vital now is a swift restoration of law and order and the protection of innocent lives. No citizen should ever fear for their safety and security in our society. And no child should ever be afraid to go outside and play or be with their parents and have a good time. I just got off the phone with the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, and we agreed that the hate and the division must stop and must stop right now. We have to come together as Americans with love for our nation and true affection, uh, really, and I, I say this so strongly, true affection for each other. We have so many incredible things happening in our country. So when I watch Charlottesville, to me, it's very, very sad. Above all else, we must remember this truth. No matter our color, creed, religion, or political party, we are all Americans first. We love our country. We love our God. We love our flag. We're proud of our country. We're proud of who we are. So we want to get the situation straightened out in Charlottesville, and we want to study it. And we want to see what we're doing wrong as a country where things like this can happen. My administration is restoring the sacred bonds of loyalty between this nation and its citizens. But our citizens must also restore the bonds of trust and loyalty between one another. We must love each other, respect each other, and cherish our history and our future together. So important. We have to respect each other. Ideally, we have to love each other. We have to heal the wounds of our country. These are wounds that have been going on for really a long time. And I thought, and everybody thought, and everybody wants it to heal. And it will heal. And we're going to make every effort possible to make sure that that healing procedure goes as quickly as possible. I love the people of our country. I love all of the people of our country. We're going to make America great again, but we're going to make it great for all of the people of the United States of America. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so there it was. Uh, that was his reaction at the uh, Veterans Healthcare Signage press conference thingy-majiggy where he gave his reaction to um, the Charlottesville incident. Um, words of unity, uh, love, respect, uh, placed responsibility on the citizenry 
to get along, talked about a long history of racial strife and cultural battles. What followed after this press conference, um, people went hysterical. Uh, the media, whether you want to call it mainstream media, left-wing media, let's just call it media because it was across the board. Trump was actually um, derided and chastised for this statement that he gave. I, I whittled it down. I hope you listened to every word of the three minutes. But in this one, he still hasn't said very fine people on both sides. I want you to understand, you didn't miss anything. It wasn't there. He hasn't said it yet. This time, in this press conference, he said many sides. Both sides, right? When he was talking about the hatred and violence from many sides. And I want to take this time right now to talk about something that bothers me greatly, and that's nuance. So often in our society, we're, we're given information, we're expected to check two boxes. Are you an X or are you an Y? What, what do you proclaim? What group shall you sit in on this issue, good sir? And so often it seems like everything's being dumbed down into these camps when there's actual nuance, there's gray areas, there's, there's details of information, if you dig a little deeper, that might give you a little bit more nuance, that might shed a little bit more light on a perspective. Instead, in, in this day and age, um, everybody's casting nuance aside for the quick take, for the hot take, for the divisive take. And then they sit back and they say, boy, I wish this country wasn't so divisive. Blame it on him. And, and this is a good point because I had you listen to all three minutes, okay, of that press conference. It was a lot longer than three minutes. I whittled it down. We didn't need to hear about the economy and jobs, okay? We didn't need to hear about veterans. We, this was all about Charlottesville. He had a lot of really amazing words. And this is where two camps, you can see a divergence in two camps, two groups, if you will. There's a group that has negative energy for President Trump. They think negatively of him, and they want to see him fail. From that perspective, when you hear many sides, and you hear his language where he's talking about all people, from that perspective, it, it gave them an opening. His words gave them an opening to say, well, he's not denouncing, he's not denouncing uh, the KKK and white supremacy, even though he did. Uncategorically, he did. Then there's the other side, right? Where I kind of fall into that camp. I'm not going to have rose-colored glasses and tell you I'm completely unbiased. When I listen to President Trump's words, I come from a more positive perspective. I'm a little bit more understanding of the crude nature of the way he speaks. You know, I, I think it's impressive in some ways the way he can go off a train of thought and ramble and, and follow these tangents and then come right back to where the train left the tracks. But we see that, I mean, it's clear in there. 
the unity, uh, talking about responsibility of the citizenry, talking about all citizens, talking about how every single person should feel safe in this country um, to hold their beliefs, okay? None of that was discussed after this press conference. It became all about he didn't name them by name. He didn't, uh, he said, he said uh, both sides, all sides, many sides. It became all about that. Just those very few words. They took a snapshot. So when we're addressing this entire incident, because remember, we're three years removed. We're looking back on the divisive incident that it's become and Trump's reaction to it. The narrative is it was very poor. Uh, the narrative is that he didn't condemn white supremacy. There you go. That was his very first take. All right, let's get on to the second press conference, which I believe was the next day he held a press conference in Trump Tower. Uh, in, I might be mistaken. I think it was August 14th was the next press conference. So two days after the um, incident... Uh, the murder, if you will, the clash, the skirmish in Charlottesville. Uh, this was his press conference. Again, I'm going to edit out sidetrack tangents, and we're just going to give you straight Charlottesville um, in its chronological order in the press conference, trying to make it as short for you as possible. I know some of you don't like to hear Trump's voice, so we're going to try to make it nice and short for you, but you need to hear the words. So here's the second presser. But based on the events that took place over the weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia, I would like to provide the nation with an update on the ongoing federal response to the horrific attack and violence that was witnessed by everyone. I just met with FBI Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The Department of Justice has opened a civil rights investigation into the deadly car attack that killed one innocent American and wounded 20 others. To anyone who acted criminally in this weekend's racist violence, you will be held fully accountable. Justice will be delivered. As I said on Saturday, we condemn in the strongest possible terms, this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence, it has no place in America. And as I have said many times before, no matter the color of our skin, we all live under the same laws. We all salute the same great flag. And we are all made by the same almighty God. We must love each other, show affection for each other, and unite together in condemnation of hatred, bigotry, and violence. We must rediscover the bonds of love and loyalty that bring us together as Americans. Racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. We are a nation founded on the truth that all of us are created equal. We are equal in the eyes of our Creator. We are equal under the law. And we are equal under our Constitution. 
Those who spread violence in the name of bigotry strike at the very core of America. Two days ago, a young American woman, Heather Heyer, was tragically killed. Her death fills us with grief, and we send her family our thoughts, our prayers, and our love. We also mourn the two Virginia State Troopers who died in service to their community, their commonwealth, and their country. Troopers Jay Cullen and Burke Bates exemplify the very best of America, and our hearts go out to their families, their friends, and every member of American law enforcement. These three fallen Americans embody the goodness and decency of our nation. In times such as these, America has always shown its true character, responding to hate with love, division with unity, and violence with an unwavering resolve for justice. As a candidate, I promise to restore law and order to our country and our federal law enforcement agencies are following through on that pledge. We will spare no resource in fighting so that every American child can grow up free from violence and fear. We will defend and protect the sacred rights of all Americans, and we will work together so that every citizen in this blessed land is free to follow their dreams in their hearts and to express the love and joy in their souls. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you very much. Okay, that was the second press conference at Trump Tower, I believe. Uh, I didn't do any editing, so that was very prepared, straightforward, short and to the point by President Trump. He named names, including um, all of the victims. So he named Heather Hare. He named the two uh, police officers who died in the helicopter crash. He condemned unequivocally hate groups, hateful ideology, naming the KKK, naming white supremacists. But it still wasn't good enough. It still wasn't good enough. To this day, Trump's words are used against him. And again, I want you to recognize, Trump didn't say, fine people, fine people, both sides, did he? Still hasn't said it yet. So again, when we look back on perspective and we look at this from a 50,000-foot view looking down, can you imagine he's using all of these words, love, affection, unity, all Americans, children growing up in fields of flowers of freedom, right? Every American, he specifically is stating it, saying it over and over again, using wonderful words. I, I, I was listening to that just now while we were, uh, while we were putting, it in, putting it into the track, and I, I, I couldn't help but think how wonderful those words would sound if Barack Obama said them, because we all love the way Barack Obama spoke, right? Barack Obama spoke in a very eloquent, heartfelt you know, there was just a rhythm and flow to, to his words and a softness in his voice. If you take that trans transcript that Trump just delivered, but yet put it in Barack Obama's voice, people would be falling all over Trump for what he's saying, and, and they would say it's absolutely clear, but it wasn't good enough. The media still hounded him, still hounded him. And now we're going to get to the meat, the guts, 
the guts of this that's lasted three years now, because Trump takes questions from the press corps. He's doing a press conference on the 15th of August, so the next day after this press conference, where he is talking about an infrastructure bill um, that he's trying to get passed. So he's talking about infrastructure. He's got Mnuchin there. He's got other people there. And at the end of this press conference, he takes questions from the media. And one thing I will preface this audio with, I've watched it several times, um, you can't quite pick up the, uh, the questions from the press, um, but clearly Trump is getting frustrated. It, it would be maddening, wouldn't it, if you used words like affection and love and unity and every American and condemned white nationalists and, and uh, white supremacists and the KKK by name um, to get questions that aren't really posed as questions. They're, they're kind of uh, packaged in a negative narrative. And, and I think when we go back to, to my previous words, when you say, hey, when you look sometimes at Trump and what he's saying, I can have rose-colored glasses where I see a positive, patriotic uh, president trying to do good, and I can also see a perspective, and I hope you can, and be self-reflective enough that sometimes people see Trump's words as negative, and they're looking for any little thing that they can jump on to reinforce um, the hate that they have in their heart for, for President Trump. Um, it works both ways, this confirmation bias. And I think it's very easy, very interesting to go through and look at this weekend um, in totality and to look from that 50,000-foot view and to listen exactly to Trump's words, because three years later, it is still used against him. Okay, there's a little bit of audio trouble. Uh, this is this press conference. Um, the audio isn't very good. Uh, you can't quite catch the... Um, the reporter's questions to Trump. Sometimes it goes in and out from a room recording to a mic recording. So I'm going to do the best I can with this audio. But this is the last clip of President Trump. If you are a Trump hater, I, I applaud you for making it this far. We've only got a little bit to go. I know you don't, I know his voice is like sandpaper to you. But at the same time, don't you want to get right to the source and decide this? So that either you stop using this as a uh, weapon against Trump, or you you continue, but now with more totality of evidence and understanding of the situation. I'm not trying to convince anyone either way. I think it's pretty clear where I stand, and after the end of this uh, next clip, I'll make it even more clear, because I, I'm— the more that I work on this podcast, I was going to go in with this, hey, I'm unbiased and let's see, but the more and more I listen to all these clips over and over and over again, the more pissed I get and the more I empathize with Trump in some ways because he's getting bashed after all of these great words, these words that if other presidents said them, they'd be applauded and fawned over, and yet he keeps getting hammered. And that's when, he, you know, that's when he gets into the fake news. It's because of the negative narrative coming at him. So, all right, let's, let's, uh, I'm going to editorialize after. Sorry, sorry about the minor editorializing before. Let's get to this third press conference. So, again, now we're three days away from the Charlottesville incident. He's had 
two press conferences. Um, this is the first time the press is going to be able to ask him questions directly. Why, why did you wait so long? I did not I didn't wait long. Why, why did I didn't wait long. I didn't wait long. I wanted to make sure, unlike most politicians, that what I said was correct, not make a quick statement. The statement I made on Saturday, the first statement, was a fine statement. But you don't make statements that direct unless you know the fact. It takes a little while to get the facts. You still don't know the facts. And it's a very, very uh, important process to me. And it's a very important statement. So I don't want to go quickly and just make a statement for the sake of making a political statement. I want to know the facts. If you go back to my, in fact, I brought it. I brought it. I brought it. As I said on, remember this, Saturday, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence. It has no place in America. And then I went on from there. Now, here's the thing as to, excuse me, excuse me, take it nice and easy. Here's the thing. When I make a statement, I like to be correct. I want the facts. This event just happened. In fact, a lot of the event didn't even happen yet as we were speaking. This event just happened. Before I make a statement, I need the facts. So I don't want to rush into a statement. So making the statement when I made it was excellent. Okay, I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to do a little fact-checking. Uh, because I didn't quite recognize that exact quote that President Trump pulled out. He pulled out a little piece of paper and says, I have it, I have it. And he's talking about his first press conference, his first statement that was the day of. So let's go back uh, to, to the very beginning. I'm not going to play the full clip, but let's, let's hear the very beginning of that press conference where he does say he condemns, but then he says both sides, and he didn't include that in his uh, restatement. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides, on many sides. It's been going on for a long time in our country. Not Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. It's been going on for a long, long time. It is no place in America. So he, he kind of gets, gets the quote right, but you can see right there where he's making his statement, and he goes off script, many sides, many sides. It's, uh, you know, it's been around before Barack Obama, before Donald Trump. You know, he goes off the rails, and he comes back comes back to the script, it has no place in America. So again, he's right, and he's wrong. So that's not the exact quote, but it is the exact words. He just left out the second time, the third time, excuse me, he left out the many sides, which, of course, is what everybody jumps on. But if you look at the words in totality and in context and what he's trying to say and mean, if you don't have a negative bent, a negative angle, everything's just fine with those words. And this next clip kind of talks about it. I don't want to say it proves my point, but it it gives evidence if we're going to get inside Trump's head, right, and where he's at on this weekend and responding to the violence. Um, this next quip that he has in the press conference says everything that I've been talking about. Her mother on Twitter thanked me for what I said. And honestly, if the press were not fake, and if it was honest, 
the press would have said what I said was very nice. But unlike you and unlike, excuse me, unlike you and unlike the media, before I make a statement, I like to know the facts. So remember where we're at in this time. Okay, this is August of 2017. This is right in the middle of all of the whipped up hysteria over Russiagate. Okay, I believe in August of 2017, I think the FBI still has a counterintelligence uh, investigation open on the Trump administration. Remember, a sitting president was under investigation by the FBI over salacious uh, fake uh, dossier that's gone all the way to the subsourcing and shown that it's actual Russians in the subsourcing paid by the Clinton Foundation. So nowadays, Russiagate has turned into Spygate. But at this time, he's dealing with lies and manipulation and negative made-up narratives that he's fighting off all the time in his presidency. So you can understand or see frustration coming out when he battles the press and points out the fake news. And he says exactly what I said, that if it were anybody else, they'd be talking about what nice words he had, but instead it's fake news or uh, negative news, however you want to put it. They're, they're looking to put the hit job on him. But yet, have you noticed we still haven't gotten to the, the famous phrase, fine people? What, what is it? Very fine people on both sides. That's still coming. That's still coming. But you can feel the contentious nature of the press conference. All right, back to it. I wanted to see the facts. And the facts, as they started coming out, were very well stated. In fact, everybody said his statement was beautiful. If he would have made it sooner, that would have been good. I couldn't have made it sooner because I didn't know all of the facts. Frankly, people still don't know all of the facts. It was very important, excuse me, excuse me. It was very important to me to get the facts out and correctly. Because if I would have made a fast statement, and the first statement was made without knowing much other than what we were seeing. The second statement was made after, with knowledge, with great knowledge. There's still things, excuse me, there's still things that people don't know. I want to make a statement with knowledge. I wanted to know the facts. Okay. Was this ter- two questions. Was this terrorism? And can you tell us how you're feeling about your chief strategist? Well, I think the driver of the car is a disgrace to himself, his family, and this country. And that is, you can call it terrorism. You can call it murder. You can call it whatever you want. I would just call it as the fastest one to come up with a good verdict. That's what I'd call it. Because there is a question, is it murder, is it terrorism? And then you get into legal semantics. The driver of the car is a murderer. And what he did was a horrible, horrible, inexcusable thing. That the alt-right is behind these attacks, and he linked that same group to those who perpetrated the attack in Charlottesville. Well, I, I don't know, I can't tell you. I'm sure Senator McCain must know what he's talking about. Uh, but when you say the alt-right, uh, define alt-right to me. You define it. Go ahead. Well, I'm saying, no, define it for me. Come on, let's go. Define Senator McCain defined them as the same group. Excuse me. What about the alt-left that came charging at the, as you say, the alt-right? Do they have any semblance of guilt? Let me ask you this. What about the fact they came charging, that they came charging with clubs in their hands, swinging clubs? Do they have any problem? I think they do. Sorry, so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, 
That was a horrible, horrible day. Wait a minute. I'm not finished. I'm not finished, fake news. Okay, this is where we're getting to the good stuff now. And what's hard to hear, um, the reporter who is speaking up is uh, Jim Acosta. Um, Jim Acosta, he's not a reporter, really. He's he's kind of a narrative-driven um, resistance fighter, if you will, uh, in the press corps. And he's he's setting it up for Trump, where he's saying, President Trump, you can't put white supremacists on the same moral plane as the counter-protesters. That's what he's saying. And and President Trump, you know, he's, that's who he's talking to when he says, wait a minute, fake news, let me finish. So now we're getting to the meat and potatoes. You guys have been hanging in there so long. Um, and we're going to get to the part of the press conference, the part of the entire weekend that has lasted three years in infamy. It's all a response to lovely Jim Acosta. It was a horrible day. I will tell you something. I watched those very closely, much more closely than you people watched it. And you have, uh, you, you had a group on one side that was bad, and you had a group on the other side that was also very violent. And nobody wants to say that, but I'll say it right now. You had a group, you had a group on the other side that came charging in without a permit, and they were very, very violent. Do you think that the, what you call the alt-left is the same as neo-Nazis? I, oh, those people, all of those people, excuse me. I've condemned neo-Nazis. I've condemned many different groups, but not all of those people were neo-Nazis, believe me. Not all of those people were white supremacists by any stretch. Those people were also there because they wanted to protest the taking down of a statue, Robert E. Lee. So, excuse me, and you take a look at some of the groups and you see, and you know it if you were honest reporters, which in many cases you're not, but many of those people were there to protest the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. So, this week it's Robert E. Lee. I notice that Stonewall Jackson's coming down. I wonder, is it George Washington next week? And is it Thomas Jefferson the week after? You know, you, all, you really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? But they were there to protest, excuse me. You take a look the night before. They were there to protest the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. Infrastructure question. Go ahead. Should statues of Robert E. Lee stay up? I would say that's up to a local town, community, or the federal government, depending on where it is located. Are you against the Confederacy? Do you think things have gotten worse or better since you took office? I think they've gotten better or the same. I look, they've been frayed for a long time. And you can ask President Obama about that because he'd make speeches about it. But I believe that the fact that I brought in, it will be soon, millions of jobs. You see where companies are moving back into our country. I think that's going to have a tremendous positive impact on race relations. We have companies coming back into our country. We have two car companies that just announced. We have Foxconn in Wisconsin just announced. We have many companies, I say pouring back into the country. I think that's going to have a huge positive impact on race relations. You know why? It's jobs. What people want now, they want jobs. They want great jobs with good pay. And when they have that, you watch how race relations will be. And I'll tell you, we're spending a lot of money on the inner cities. We're going to fix, we're fixing the inner cities. We're doing far more than 
anybody's done with respect to the inner cities. It's a priority for me. And it's very important. Are you putting what you're calling the alt-left and white supremacists on the same moral plane? I'm not putting anybody on a moral plane. What I'm saying is this. You had a group on one side and you had a group on the other, and they came at each other with clubs, and it was vicious, and it was horrible, and it was a horrible thing to watch. But there is another side. There was a group on this side. You can call them the left. You've just called them the left that came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's the way it is. You said there was hatred, there was violence on both sides. Well, I do think there's blame. Yes, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it. And you don't have any doubt about it either. And and, and if you reported it accurately, you would say. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down, are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now we're going to take down his statue. So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, in the other group also, you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers, and you see them come with the, with the black outfits and with the helmets and with the baseball bats. You got a, you had a lot of bad you had a lot of bad people in the other group too. Treated unfairly, sir. I'm sorry. I just didn't understand what you were saying. You were saying the press has treated white nationalists unfairly. No. I just didn't understand what you were saying. No. There were people in that rally, and I looked the night before. If you look, there were people protesting very quietly the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. I'm sure in that group there were some bad ones. The following day, it looked like they had some rough, bad people, neo-Nazis, uh, white nationalists, whatever you want to call them. But you had a lot of people in that group that were there to innocently protest and very legally protest because, you know, I don't know if you know, they had a permit. The other group didn't have a permit. So I only tell you this. There are two sides to a story. I thought what took place was a horrible moment for our country, a horrible moment. But there are two sides to the country. And there you go. That's everything. We've we've now produced all three press conferences plus a tweet from the weekend of the Charlottesville incident uh, where Antifa and well-meaning counter-protesters faced off against permitted 
protesters protesting taking down Robert E. Lee statue who were also with white nationalists and white supremacists. They uh, went to town on each other and battled it out. Unfortunately, one of the hate groups, uh, the white supremacist hate group, or maybe white nationalists, I don't know, got into a car and mowed down. They came up behind uh, counter-protesters and mowed down uh, about 20 people, uh, one dying. Um, That was the Charlottesville incident. But what came out of it, instead of questions or logical debate on what these statues mean, what they mean to community members there, both positives and negatives, it just became all about Trump. Trump saying very fine people on both sides, but originally saying there was hate on both sides, and both sides deserve some blame. Basically, Trump keeps looking at things from a perspective of all Americans, and the press keeps trying to box him into their ideology. He has far more nuance in what he says, and they just keep coming up with questions that are slanted from their narrative. I I don't know if you heard it, but there was a young woman that asked just just a dumb question in the middle of that final segment. Right after President Trump uh, gives the line, very fine people on both sides, and then he goes into an explanation to draw it out for everybody, literally saying, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and white supremacists. They should be condemned totally. A reporter chimes in and says, oh, excuse me, I'm just a little bit confused. Are Are you saying the press is treating white supremacists unfairly? literally after he says that. Then another genius earlier, a genius yells out just a genius question. I mean, I just want you to stand back. I don't know if you caught it or not, but this was a groundbreaking question. He yells out in the middle of this press conference. Are you against the Confederacy? He actually asked President Trump, if he's against the confederacy. I don't even know what the hell. Confederacy, isn't that over? Sure, are there there a bunch of toothless hicks uh, still hanging out in the swamps in the south, like thinking that the confederacy shall rise again? I mean, is that really a thing? Does... this, this is the ludicrous idiocy that he has to face every time he gets embattled with this. And it's a couple, and again, there's nuance there, right? Because there are people that are just following this narrative that don't even understand or try to understand what President Trump is saying. They're only seeing the world from their, their goggles, their, their left-leaning goggles. Let's be clear. These are, these are left-leaning partisan reporters. They're just trying to get Trump, and they don't even hear him when he says things like, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists. They should be condemned totally. Literally says those words, and they're like, well, I'm, I'm just confused. Who are you talking about? Two more things, and I'm gonna let you guys go, and I appreciate you coming through to the end of this podcast, because there's one of them that's fairly, that's fairly large. And it proves Trump right again from this weekend, this incident that that nobody's really talking about. The first thing I wanted to say is I I just wanted to continue talking about 
the nuance and about how he sees that in a thousand people that there are good people that you can't just throw a blanket over a thousand people and say they're neo-nazis and white supremacists there were a lot of different reasons that somebody might come to that event to protest taking down of the Robert E. Lee statue. That's what he's saying. He's also saying that in a thousand people that come to be a counter-protest to that protest, the Unite the Right rally, there are good people in that group, well-meaning people that want their voice heard and they want to make a presence known when they go down there. Then he's also saying, and he said this in the beginning, there are bad people on both sides in a thousand people that are there with their permits even to protest the taking down of the Robert E. Lee statue. They've taken it upon them as an opportunity to promote their hate, their white supremacist hate and neo-Nazis to go and to and to protest uh, taking down of their culture that they're rooted in or that they I identify with bad people and on the other side there was Antifa Antifa even though Jerry Nadler recently said that Antifa is a myth we all know and we've all seen it it's very easy to see the citizen journalist it's not covered very often in the mainstream media but you see the people with the black helmets and the black garb they're called the black block of the antifa they were there that weekend and they rushed in with weapons and violence at their heart the anti-fascists were literally going in to fight the fascists but in that group all of them together. There were good and be bad people on both sides. That's the truth, and that's the nuance that President Trump was speaking from. And more importantly, I just I want to say this because it's getting lost in our society. Freedom of speech. It doesn't matter what ignorant speech you're saying. You have a right to say your speech. And we're losing track of that. And I, whenever I hear this white supremacists and, and neo-Nazis, I just I think back to when I was younger, 20 years ago, uh, maybe, maybe a little longer, but every year, and I think it still goes to this day, they would have this KKK parade going through some small southern town, and everybody, the, the press would all go, oh, look at this, the KKK, and everybody would laugh at them, at the pathetic small group of hateful people that have such a ass backwards ideology but they have a right to exist and they have a right if they get their permit to go down that street in a peaceful parade a lot of people are losing track of that you know and, and it's it's been incited by left-leaning politicians and people that, that have promoted the old, oh, go punch a Nazi in the face. The problem with that is who are you personally identifying as a Nazi? Were they committing violence because you're committing violence against them? 
And I know if you look at the Southern Poverty Law Center, they've got people listed, all kinds of people with really bad names that aren't necessarily that. I've seen it. So we need a little bit of understanding all the way around. And where my rose-colored Trump glasses come in is I see the positive. I see where he's coming from. I see how he's the president of the United States, all people, jackasses, ignorance, and good, harmless people as well. And that's kind of where I see him coming from in those statements, is he's not trying to let the Antifa group that came with violence in their heart get away from responsibility because that they do deserve responsibility in creating that violence and that incident. And if that's, if that's hard for you to understand or, or you've got a, a, a complaint or a comment, I am very open-minded to talk about these things. You can hit me up on Twitter at JFrat. Last thing before you go. He says it right there, August 2017. He says in that press conference, I'm not going to replay it for you, but he starts talking about Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, and he starts talking about where does it end? It's that slippery slope, okay? So right now in that weekend, they were discussing Robert E. Lee, and the press asked him, well, who decides? And he says, well, I think it's your local governments, state governments, federal government depends on where the property is, okay? So again, he's giving this very subtle, nuanced answers, honest answers to him. But he's asking, when does it stop? Because George Washington was a slave owner. Then he mentions Thomas Jefferson. I think he's talking with good old Jim Acosta. Do you like, do you like Thomas Jefferson? Oh, I love Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was a major slave owner. So at what point does it stop? And we've seen Three years later, in the midst of all these, go back before the George Floyd riots or, or after the, the George Floyd riots when they happened. What happened is people started trying to take down these statues. George Washington, they even hit Abraham Lincoln. They hit an abolitionist. It doesn't matter. And, and at some point, the country has to have a conversation and a debate because we are all under the same rules of freedom of speech and we need to debate ideas and come to common truths, not violence. And we need to discuss where does, where's the line in that slippery slope of sand? Where is that line? Is it at Robert E. Lee right there in Charlottesville where Robert E. Lee was born, where he died, where he fought, and he was a great general for a Confederacy that lost? Do we take that down? What about Thomas Jefferson? He was a slave owner. What about George Washington? Slave owner. We can't deny our history and our culture. And I think that we'd come together better as a people if we could talk about it more openly without the vitriol and the hysteria. Because none of us, none of us, lived through that. None of us lived back in those times. We live in modern times here where everybody has equal opportunity. And if you want to argue that and you want to debate that, well, that's awesome. That's what we're here to do, right? Through debate and open discussion, we can help each other, help each other find truth. Because a lot of us, myself, I see propaganda all the time that's inundating me from a right-wing perspective. But I also see a ton of left-wing propaganda. 
And I believe today we've looked through this, we've played the press conferences. If you take all of President Trump's words in totality and in context, he is saying, the words he's saying are very unifying and they're very good words. But to this day, it's used as a rallying cry to resist, to stand up against people like me that support Trump, that, that stand up against Trump and, uh, and his supporters with violence often. That's a scary place for us to be in, in this society. And we need to come together more to discuss these things in an open and honest way so that we can dismiss propaganda and get at the truth. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokinJays.com. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.